Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Well, we come to the end of a journey today uh, in our study of God's Word. And if you're new today, if you're first time here, uh, we love to gather each Sunday, 9 o'clock or 1030, and worship the Lord together and then spend some time gathered around His Word and see what He has to teach us. And in 2023, um, God has been teaching us some things through the life of a guy named Daniel. And we're coming to the end of that journey today. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 12. If you want to follow along in a Bible, the last chapter of this book that we studied now for uh, nine weeks. And uh, let me start this last message uh, this way. You know, there's an old saying that timing is everything. Timing is everything. So when it comes to something like uh, music, you know, our worship arts team just got through leading us in some worship music. Um, Timing, you know, keeping a beat, you know, it, it matters a lot. Um, when it comes to telling a joke, there's such a thing as comedic timing, that if you don't get it right, then chances are the joke uh, will not be that funny. Uh, how about when it comes to uh, catching a ball in sports or, or hitting a ball in sports? Uh, it requires timing to be successful. Uh, even in, let's say, um, investments, they say that timing is everything. You know, investors say, you know, buy stocks when they're low and sell them when they're high. You got to get the timing right if you want to make a profit. So in many cases, in many situations in life, timing is everything. Well, this morning, we come to the last book of, the last chapter of the book of Daniel, and it's all about timing. It's not your timing, it's not my timing, but it's God's timing. And this last chapter of Daniel is about the end times, in which uh, through Daniel, God predicts certain things are going to happen. Now, are they going to happen in your lifetime or my lifetime? We don't know. Is Jesus going to come back in our lifetime? We don't know. Uh, you know, I like to say God's put me on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. So I'll welcome him if he shows up during my lifetime, for sure. But we don't know. Nobody knows the time or the date. And so we come to Daniel chapter 12, and even though we don't know specific times or dates, we do see some events that are going to transpire in this world that God has created. And so, if, again, if you have a Bible, we're in Daniel chapter 12, and um, we'll be reading some of those verses in just a moment. But did you know... About one-fourth of the Bible, 25% of the Bible, is considered prophecy. It is um, predictive about the future. And about one-half of all the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. But today we're looking at some prophecies in the book of Daniel that have yet to be fulfilled. And uh, again, we don't know when they will be. We just know that they will be. These are things yet to come, things in the future. And if you were with us this, um, 
uh, for this series, then I, a couple weeks ago I shared with you that the book of Daniel can be divided into two sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 6, and if we can get that, there it is, we can get that slide up there. Chapters 1 through 6 is history, chapter 7 through 12 is prophecy. And in chapters 1 through 6, where we spent the majority of this series, we've been looking at Daniel's life as a part of history. It's a historical narrative. And a couple weeks ago, I shared with you that shortly after the conclusion of chapter 6, Daniel passes away. He dies. But chapters 1 through 6 is this account of this young man who's a teenager, gets carted off to Babylon from Israel, and he spends his life in Babylon, representing the Lord and standing firm in his faith, even though it's a pagan culture. But then chapters 7 to 12, the book takes a pivot, and it becomes not historic anymore, but prophetic. And you could really view Daniel 7 to 12 as an addendum that he adds on to his uh, autobiography. Okay, these are, uh, in Daniel 7 to 12, these are various visions and dreams that God gave him about things to come. And we haven't spent as much time in this section of the book, but I want to look at chapter 12 as we conclude the series today. Now, it's interesting to point out that some of the things that God predicts through Daniel have already taken place. They've already happened. For example, in chapter 8, which I did not do a sermon from chapter 8, but in chapter 8, under God's inspiration, Daniel predicts the rise of Alexander the Great and his Macedonian Empire. 250 years before Alexander shows up on the scene, you can read about his prediction in Daniel chapter 8. And really, with incredible detail, so much so that Daniel's prophecy about the rise and fall of Alexander the Great is so detailed that liberal scholars, because of their anti-supernatural bias, are now saying, you know, Daniel couldn't be written when we thought it was written. It had to be written much later, after Alexander, because there's no way somebody could predict the future that uh, correctly, that accurately. But, you know, when you know the Lord, when you know the one who holds the future, you know, predicting the future really isn't that much of a lift. And so we come to God's Word, and God makes these predictions through His Word, these prophecies, and it's just a matter of when they come to pass. It's not if, it's when. So these end-time events that God predicted through Daniel here in chapter 12 are yet to be fulfilled, but just like Alexander the Great, they will be fulfilled. And it's all a matter of God's timing. And his timing is always perfect. So let's take a look at it, all right? Daniel chapter 12, we're going to dive into chapter 1. This is Daniel's final uh, prophetic vision. It's actually a vision that starts back in chapter 10. But for the sake of time, we're going to pick it up in the last section, which is the final chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. At that time... And, uh, and there's a word that's going to show up a lot in these verses about God's timing. Okay, we're talking about time. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Now, in the angelic realm, Michael is the archangel. He is uh, God's highest ranking angel. And if you've read much about the Bible, when Michael shows up, Michael is less the... Uh, um, as the media portrays angels, you know, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. Uh, when, you, when you find Michael in the Bible, typically he's brandishing a sword because Michael is a, he's a defender, he's a warrior, he's a protector. 
and he's portrayed that way throughout the scriptures. And here in verse 1, at that time Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. The prophecy continues in verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. And then look at how the book concludes in the final verse, verse 13. God says to him, as, you go, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. All right. Well, man, what is, what is that? that that's, that's, I mean, if you're just reading along in your Bible, and you come to Daniel chapter 12, I mean, you're going to have to know some context, right, about what is he talking about? Because, again, it's a, it's a vision that God gives him, and uh, some believe, actually, the messenger of this vision, back in chapter 10, is Jesus himself. Because the description of this heavenly messenger in chapter 10 is very close to what the Apostle John says about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, very, very similar. It caused many to believe that the person communicating this vision to Daniel is none other than Jesus himself. But whatever the case, Jesus, or this divine messenger... He uses three different phrases in reference to the end times. And I want us to take a closer look at each of these phrases. They all have to do with time, God's timing. Okay, so, so he's going to talk about a time of distress, a time of deliverance, and the time of the end. Or verse 13 says, the end of days. And again, remember, these are things that have yet to happen. These are things to come. And these three phrases represents three different elements concerning the end time. So let's talk about the first one. He, he mentions a time of distress will come upon the world at the end of the world. Look at verse 1. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. Now some translations you might be using uh, refer to it as a time of trouble. Either way, this is a reference that is commonly known by people who read the Bible, a reference to the Great Tribulation. You know, the Bible teaches that there's going to be this seven-year period. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 6 to 18 in more detail. But there's going to be this seven-year period on the earth in which all hell's going to break loose. And God is going to send uh, cataclysmic natural events and disasters upon planet Earth and the people who are living at that time. And what's going to make it so significant and different is that everything's going to happen in pretty rapid succession. I mean, it's seven years, and you read about the events of it in Revelation 6 through 18, and it's just like, man, these things are happening one, practically one right after another. And we don't have the time to read that passage in Revelation, but for example, it says that fire during this time of great distress, this tribulation period, these seven years, fire will destroy one-third of the earth. 
And God will cause a third of the sea to turn to blood, killing a third of the sea life. Uh, it says there in Revelation that a third of the fresh water in the world during that time will become bitter and poisonous and undrinkable. Earthquakes, heightened volcanic activity, meteor showers, uh, plagues and diseases, again, all crammed within this seven-year time of distress, this tribulation. And, of course, all these things will result in widespread famine and economic collapse. I want you to think about it. You know, throughout the course of human history, there have been earthquakes and there have been plagues and pandemics and famine and economic collapse. But note here that Daniel says that this seven-year time of distress will be unparalleled in human history. There's never been anything like it before. Verse 1 says, A time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. You know, Jesus echoed that same sentiment in Matthew chapter 24 when he's talking about the great tribulation, this time of distress. Look at how Jesus' words very closely mirror what Daniel said. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 it says, then there will be, Jesus says, then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So these seven years are going to be different than anything ever experienced in human history. God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting, God-forsaking world, and this seven-year period is going to be disastrous. I guess there's no better word than to just say a tremendous time of distress, tribulation. Now, you know, we read that, or we read what the tribulation is going to be like in Revelation 6 through 18. And um, if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, or maybe even if you're here this morning and you, don't, you never put your faith in Jesus, you're just kind of trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, um, you read these things about the tribulation and I think it begs the question, why would God do that? Or, or why would God send that? If you were with us last Sunday in Daniel chapter 9, I mean, we were talking about the great love of God, right? And the, and the compassion of God. And the uh, faithfulness of God. And now we're in Daniel chapter 12, and we're starting to learn about this period in which all hell's going to break loose on earth. And we want to ask, you know, where's the love of God? Where's the compassion of God? Where's the faithfulness of God? Why would God send this type of calamity upon the world? Well, you know, God certainly has his reasons for the great tribulation. There's going to be some things that God accomplishes um, during those seven years uh, beyond the scope of today's message. Uh, a lot of it has to do with Israel and the redemption of Israel. Uh, we can talk more about that in another sermon, perhaps. But let me give you one reason why God's, God is going to send the great tribulation, this seven-year period, upon the earth. He's trying to get the attention one last time of people who have rejected him their entire lives. I mean, his hope, his desire, is that when, when people witness 
the chaos and the calamity and the tragedy and the destruction that happens during these seven years that many will repent of their sin and turn to him for forgiveness. And actually, Revelation records that that seven-year period of tribulation, lots and lots of people are going to come to know Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. It sounds rather primitive for me to say this, but we all know it's true. Sometimes it just takes a bigger stick to get some people's attention. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it sounds barbaric, but it, we all know that's how human nature is. Well, the seven-year tribulation is a big stick. And God's going to send all this chaos and calamity upon the earth in the hope that people will see this and repent. Revelation says that many will. Actually, those who come to Christ during the tribulation, uh, Revelation also says that many of them will be martyred. They'll be, they'll be killed because they're rejecting the Antichrist and putting their faith in Jesus. But at least their soul will be redeemed before it's too late. And they won't experience eternal condemnation. And it's important for me to point out, I think, as your pastor, you know, God would love to get people's attention in more gracious and benevolent ways than all these tragic events of the tribulation, but many people have rejected his attempts to do that. And so the tribulation, this time of distress, is a, a bigger stick in the hopes that people will repent. I mean, consider it. God created this world, this world that we live in. God created it with all its intricate beauty, and he created it with all its majesty and complexity. Man, I was just outside yesterday. Birds are singing, and the sky is blue, and the, uh, the pollen is choking me, but, you know, besides that... Uh, <laughs> It's just a majestic, you know, spring is on the way, man. I was just praising the Lord for that. And we read in the scriptures that God creates the world the way he did to testify to his majesty and to testify to his glory so that people will worship him. Um, Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. You know, when you see the ocean, when you see the blue sky, when you see the mountains, when you see creation, you're seeing a glimpse of God's glory. It's God's voice speaking out. And he's, and he's inviting you to come and worship him and praise him. But what do people do? A lot of people, oh, come on, this idea that God created the world, I mean, who believes that? We're far more intelligent. We're far too enlightened to ever believe that God created the world. I mean, give me a break. We believe in science, not God. And so they come up with evolution. And Now listen, hey, I'm not anti-science by any means. But let's just be honest. What is so scientific, what is so logical about believing that nobody plus nothing equals everything? Where is the science in that? You believe that? No, God is speaking to you through creation. It's, it's, a gen, it's, it's not a big stick. It's a gentle word. Look at the sunshine. Look at the sunrise. Look at the sunset. Look at the mountains. Look at the ocean. These things are calling out to me. Hear the birds singing their praises. 
These things are calling out about me and calling to you to respond. God would far prefer people respond to that than the tribulation. But many still reject him. Here's another thing. And this is on a smaller scale than the great tribulation, but worth our consideration. You know, God allows times of trouble, times of distress into all of our lives on a smaller scale. Not fire from heaven necessarily, or meteor showers, or, you know, a third of the earth burning up. Or, no, we live in a fallen, broken world, though. And in this fallen, broken, sinful world, it's inevitable that you're going to experience times of distress, times of heartache, times of tribulation. And oftentimes God allows that in order to turn our attention to Him in the hope that we'll repent, in the hope that we'll come to the end of ourselves and reach out to Him for comfort and for strength and for hope of a better life, an eternal life. We all have different stories about how we came to know the Lord, but I am certain in a crowd this size, for some of you to come to the Lord and put your faith in Him and give your life to Him, it took some trouble, some distress to humble you and to get your attention. And and praise the Lord, you responded to that. So on a far grander scale, during the period of the Great Tribulation that Daniel and Revelation talk about, God's desire is to get people's attention so that they would repent. And many will, and many will. And yet you read in Revelation that many won't. Because just like with our pain in our lives, sometimes it makes people better and turn to the Lord. Other times pain makes people bitter and they turn away from the Lord. You can read in Revelation how people will be so miserable during the Great Tribulation, they'll cry out to the rocks on the mountains to come and crush them. They prefer that over repenting and turning to God. That's how hard some people's hearts are towards Him. But many will come to faith, and that's one of the purposes of the seven-year period of distress. Okay, that's that's kind of the bad news, okay? But the time of trouble. Um, let's, Let's talk about the time of... Deliverance, okay? The time of deliverance, because that's here as well. And you find that in verse 1. Again, uh, this heavenly messenger gives Daniel this message. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But look at this. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So this time of deliverance referred to in Daniel chapter 12 is what's commonly referred to in Christian circles as the rapture. Now that word doesn't appear in the Bible, just it's a Latin word that means to be caught up. So the word doesn't appear in the Bible, but the principle is taught many places, including here in the scriptures. And the rapture is that end times event in which believers in Jesus will be taken out of the world prior to this seven-year tribulation. They'll be rescued, taken to heaven, and they will not experience this time of great distress. That's the rapture. And again, it's taught in several places, but there will be a generation of Christians who will not experience death while they're living, just like us, like right here today. They hear the trumpet call of God, 
And these believers will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Now, every generation of Christians wants to believe that they're the generation, right? And I hope, I hope we are. We don't know. We're coming back. Remember, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is perfect. At the appropriate time, God will decide when the rapture occur, occurs. But this time of deliverance is what Paul talks about in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, take a look at what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 it says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. There's that reference to Michael, the arch archangel, in uh, Daniel 12, verse 1. And with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17 says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's where we get the word rapture, caught up in the clouds. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this is good news, right? I mean, this is good news for the believer in Jesus. This is good news for Aubrey, who, who just testified to her faith in Jesus through baptism. This is good news for you, who've opened up your life and received Christ as your Savior and Lord. This is good news. Okay, the bad news is God's going to send this these cataclysmic events during the seven-year time of distress. All hell is going to break loose on earth. That's bad news. The good news is, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he's going to deliver you from that. He's going to rescue you from that. He's going to take you out of the world before all those things, those terrible things, happen. It's the rapture, the deliverance. You know, there are, there are Christians who love Jesus and are, you know, committed to the Lord who interpret this passage differently. Uh, there are some believers in Jesus who, who think that, no, 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 all the Christians are going to go through the tribulation, and then the deliverance comes at the end of the seven years, but they're going to, they're going to go through all that and experience all that, and then, and then comes the, the time of deliverance, then comes the rapture. And again, there are good Christian people who who believe that. But did you see what Paul said in verse 18? He says, encourage one another with these words. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to say, okay, hey guys, listen up. God is going to send hell on earth for seven years. And it's going to be a time of massive death and destruction. All kinds of terrible things are going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And, and guess what? You're going to be there to experience it all. Encourage one another with these words, right? <laughs> Come on. Come on. No, no, the encouragement is you're not going to go through it. Jesus is going to rescue you from it. Rescue you from it. This time of deliverance for God's people. So, okay. The time of distress, the time of deliverance. Daniel also talks about what he says, the time of the end, and that's in verse 2. Meanwhile, I'm sorry, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Down in verse 4 it says, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Or verse 13 calls it the end of days. 
Well, this time of the end speaks in general about life after death for all people. You know, the Bible teaches that, that everybody lives forever. It's just a matter of where you live forever. Your human body will die and decay, but your soul will live forever. It's eternal. And so the scriptures teach us that, yeah, life is eternal. Everybody's going to live eternally, but not everybody's going to live in the same place in eternity. And very clearly, even here in Daniel chapter 12, the Old Testament before Jesus, God is already speaking about this separation of those who will be raised to life and what's Daniel say? Those who will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt. So verse 2 is conveying the universal message of the gospel, the Bible, that everyone lives eternally, just not in the same place. And verse 1 tells us what, de what determines. Again, this is before Jesus in the flesh ever came to earth, you know, in the gospels. Daniel tells us in verse 1, here's how you determine where you'll spend eternity. See what he said? Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. That's so interesting. So, so God has a book on earth, and it's called the Bible. But we also find here in Daniel chapter 12 that God has a book in heaven. And in that book in heaven, there are names written of all those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And what's going to determine where you or I spend eternity is whether or not God finds your name written in the book. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. Is your name written in the book? Have you ever been to... Uh, like, a, like an important event or some kind of a, a meeting or gathering of people, and um, the only way you could get in is if your name was on the list or your name was on the roster, your name was in the book. So you kind of you show up at the, you know, at the, at the entryway, and, and, and there's somebody, okay, is your name on the list? If your name's on the list, then you can, you can come on in. Now, most of the events I ever go to are open to everyone, Okay, you know, every, anybody can come who wants to come. I don't go to too many of those formal events where your name has to be on a list. But that's kind of the picture here that Daniel's painting for us. When we stand before God and the judgment, listen, everybody's invited to heaven, but not everybody gets in. The only way you can get in is if your name is found in the book that Daniel speaks of here in chapter 12. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued from eternal judgment. Well, you know, Daniel, got, uh, Daniel uh, God gave Daniel this vision, and that's what we've been talking about this morning. But about 500 years later, God gave the Apostle John another vision of a very similar account. And it's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 20. And John also mentions this book. He calls it the book of life that Daniel refers to back here in 
chapter 12. And here's what John says, again, 500 years later, concerning his vision that God gave him. Revelation 20, verse 12, John writes, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. So there's kind of that judgment, you know, that you're standing at the front and kind of awaiting. And then it says, the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Down to verse 15, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So I just want you to note in those words from the Apostle John, this vision that God gave him, that anyone who's judged according to what they had done, okay, their own merit falls short of heaven. You see that, right? Um, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So if it ended right there, nobody goes to heaven. However, verse 15 those whose names were found in the book of life, they get in. And what that teaches us so clearly, and it's a theme throughout the scriptures, is that nobody gets to heaven on their own merit. Nobody's good enough. We all fall short. Listen, if you're banking on what you've done, when God opens his books, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of God's standards. The only way you can get your name in the book, the book of life, is through what Jesus has done on your behalf. His merit. He's perfect enough. He's holy enough. He's righteous enough. His sacrifice was perfect. You and I fall well short based on our own effort and merit. And what Revelation's communicating, what Daniel's communicating here through these visions, is the gospel. That the good news is, that when the books are opened, okay, we all fall short, that's bad. The good news is, in the book of life are names of people who are sinners like everybody else, but they've put their faith in God's one and only means of salvation, Jesus Christ. That's how you get your name in the book of life. Putting your faith in Christ. That's how it's going to work in eternity. You know, on the day of judgment... Okay, God opens up the book of life, and if he finds your name there, you're good to go. Come on in. Enjoy your master's happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. All those statements that we attach to the afterlife will be true of every person who's placed their faith in Christ. You're good to go. But what's it say? If your name is not in the book, Daniel says, you'll be raised to shame and everlasting contempt. John says in Revelation, cast into the lake of fire. So everybody lives eternally. But not everybody's going to live eternally in the same place. And what makes the difference is whether or not your name is in the book. Is your name there? Do you have assurance that God's going to find your name there? Well, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you can have that assurance. 
my son-in-law is a, a real estate attorney in Virginia, and I was talking to him recently about a seminar that he was teaching to a bunch of realtors. And I said, what's it about? He goes, well, the title of my seminar is What You Need to Know About Death, Divorce, and Bankruptcy. <laughs> I said, how do you get up for a talk like that? <laughs> I mean, right, that's such bad news. And so I said, you know, you know, wow, Jake, I guess people need to know about death, divorce, and bankruptcy, but, uh, but man, I'm so glad I'm a pastor. I get to share good news with people. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a pastor. I, I can tell people the good news. But in all honesty, let's just be very candid and transparent. And most of you know this if you've read the Bible. Daniel chapter 12 and the Bible as a whole has a lot of bad news in it for people whose name is not in the book. And God gives us the bad news. He shares with us this bad news so that we can better understand and appreciate the good news that if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, God is standing by right now with pen in hand. And the ink of that pen is the blood of Christ. And he's just waiting on you to say yes to him so that he can write your name in the book of life. Yes, Lord, I want you to be my savior. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. Yes, Lord, I understand. I can't make it to heaven on my own. I need to place my faith in your son, Jesus. And when you make that decision in your heart, God gladly writes your name in the book of life. Because you're, you've experienced the good news, the hope of eternal life. So my prayer for you this morning is anybody who walks through the doors of Liberty Church is that they would never leave without settling this matter of having their name written in the book of life. And the only one who can do that for you is Jesus Christ. Daniel says everybody's going to be raised, some to eternal life, others to shame and contempt. And what... What determines where you go, where you spend eternity, is whether or not your name's written in the book of life.